3: episode 19. My name is Dean Frost and as always I'm supported by the best panel in the business. Tonight we've got a full house, we've got Tasha Gale, we've got Stacey Spear and again we've got to welcome Alicia Newton. Alicia, uh, your debut episode uh, for the NRL show, really excited to have you on board.
1: It's great to be here, thanks for having me.
3: Yeah and what a time to join the network. Again there's been a lot of buzz on social media but yeah again it's uh, it, it's all comes down to timing when it comes to rugby league and we've just come off the back of uh, well, what what, a, what an amazing finals campaign so far. Week three in the books. Tasha, I'm going to throw it straight to you. What was your key takeaway from the prelims?
0: Uh, thanks, Dan. My key takeaway is that um, I was always coached like, you, you know, if you're always scrambling backwards in, in defence through errors and whatever else, it's it's going to be so far away before you score. Well, my takeaway is Jackson Parler, you really can score a try running backwards.
3: It was... Uh... Yeah, it, I mean, I, I don't know how many coaches out there will be coaching our juniors to to sort of follow that, but, uh, no, what a what an amazing talent. Uh, for me, my takeaway was, I, I guess, the importance of taking your opportunities in finals football. Now, the South City Rabbitohs, they were on a different level uh, in that game. I mean, they created a lot of opportunities, mainly gave them a lot of football, but they were ruthless. Like, every opportunity that, that presented itself Uh, The Rabbitohs, uh, you converted that into 4.6 points. So, um, yeah, it just goes to show you've got to take your opportunities in finals football. Alicia, what about yourself? What was your takeaway?
1: Uh, Well, a lot of the chat's sort of been around, you know, the attack this year and how many points teams have scored. But I think it just showed in that game on Saturday that defence wins you matches, you know, between Melbourne and Penrith, just two sides going at it. And we saw a lot of try-savers from both sides, but in particular Penrith and um, you know, if they're going to win against South Sydney and win this competition, they need to basically replicate what they did last week against Melbourne.
3: Yeah, absolutely. No, I think you know when the when the game was getting a little bit crazy, when there was forty to thirty score lines, I think a lot of the traditionalists were sort of a little bit worried for our game. And and you know, I was kind of in that camp. I kind of missed those low scoring, tight tussles. And you know, you watch that game against uh, you know Melbourne and Penrith, and and that was that was something special. And uh, definitely a bit of a throwback uh, Stacey what about your thought what was your takeaways out of the, the preliminary finals
2: well I'm glad that Alicia stole my slogan because uh, defense does win new championships but I have to say my key takeaway was Paul Momorovsky's hit on Pasha Gale's main man Justin Olam it just goes to show that it's it's not the size of the dog in the fight it's the size of fighting the dog it was just perfect next level
3: all right, guys, well, let's jump into our first segment tonight, The Huddle. And as always, in The Huddle, we pick a particular team to focus in on. And this week, we've selected a pretty special team out west.
1: Leave no regrets
3: out there. That is what a real champion is made of.
1: We're a different footy team, and we've got a point of difference about us. Well, this is the biggest moment in several of these players' football lives. Champion players, champion club. I want
3: to be king in
2: your story. I want to know...
3: Yeah and this week we're go- Yeah and this week we're going to be focusing in on the Penrith Panthers uh in the Huddle and I guess Tash we're going to throw it straight to you because you know this has been well this has been an incredible franchise to follow for quite a number of years obviously they've they've reached another grand final but yeah let's let's take it back and and talk to us a little bit about you know the 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 rebuild of of this franchise because it's taken quite a lot of work to get them to where they where they are today
0: Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Like anybody listening to Phil Gould commentate or on any of his shows, you know, he has that special uh, soft spot for the Penrith Panthers and rightfully so, because what he's done, uh, I think way back like a a decade ago is they've started to build from the grassroots up. They've um, built their young players through and it's just it's no flash in the pan or it's no great surprise. The work has been put into the Panthers so that they've got these young players coming through, most of which have played together side by side for a number of years before they crack the NRL.
3: Alicia, I guess, you know, it's, it's interesting because there are quite a few clubs in the competition at the moment that are probably not at their best. And they're probably looking to commence a rebuild of their own. I mean, you know, the, the Penrith Panthers model, it, it's certainly one that you can potentially look at, but I guess what does make it a little bit easier is when you've got the biggest junior nursery of rugby league players in the world.
1: Yeah, I was going to touch on that. Look, I um, I grew up in Sydney's West, um, right basically near Penrith, and my brothers played in the Penrith Junior District. So whilst I wasn't a Pan- Panthers fan coming through, I have seen sort of up close just how much they do rely on their juniors and how much they put into that Um so every year, you know, the Harold Matt side, SG Ball side would always be up there in the top four um, and that that's going back a decade. So to, it's no surprise that all these kids have come through and to Penrith's credit. They've turned around and they've gone, we really need to invest in this, which is not what a lot of other clubs do. And um, they're just at, at this point now, it's it's paid off. They're being rewarded um, with guys that have come through from, you know, as we said, a 12, 13 year old, they've all come through together and. A lot of them are local kids, um, so they want to stick around and they want to achieve greatness um, in their area. So, look, it's a great blueprint, but it's it's pretty tricky to navigate unless you've got us unless you are from somewhere like out west where you've got that junior nursery and you can really build on it. But I think it's a credit to the club that they've actually stuck with that and haven't sort of gone away from it because we do see a lot of other clubs um, sort of maybe say that they uh, relying on their juniors, but. in But in fact, they're they're still out there purchasing players. So, um, yeah, Penrith, the way they've done, I've seen it firsthand, Um, speak to the club often, and I think, yeah, it's just a great credit to them that they actually have stuck with, you know, their plan from the get-go.
3: And Stacey, you know, you can have all of these nice, shiny buildings. I mean, the Centre of Excellence is outstanding, remarkable facilities, but... You know, at the end of the day, you've got to go out there and get it done. And and one guy that I did want to shout out who I did think had a big influence out there at Penrith was Garth Brennan. I, I know things didn't end too well at the Gold Coast with the Gold Coast Titans, but, you know, he was behind the scenes. And I think one of the things that they spoke about is creating a Penrith Panthers type of football Uh, You know, and that's something that Garth Brennan had a big influence in, in terms of coaching all the NYC teams, the reserve grade teams, winning all of those premierships. He had a big role behind the scenes there in terms of trying to create a Penrith way of winning football games.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I think he's really, you know, he's played a really important role into, you know, obviously laying the future for the long-term success of the club. So when Alicia was talking about how hard it is to navigate a system like that, what makes it easier is having a coach that's coached at that junior level and has coached all the same boys through the exact same program. And and I think that's that's a testament to him. And it's a testament to um you know to working with the players and getting the best out of them for the long term for sure.
1: Yeah actually funny you say that because I remember talking to Matt Cameron who is general manager now. He replaced Phil Gould and um he was basically saying that a guy like Brian Toe, um, for context two years ago was not on their radar in terms of Basically, they right, have on a blackboard their 2023 squad, their 2025 squad. Like, they just pencil people in as they get re-signed. So Brian so he just come from nowhere and suddenly go, oh, geez, we got to now suddenly get the funds to keep him um, and put him in a spot. And that means that another guy is then basically on the outer. You can't keep them all as, as juniors. We know that. We've seen a lot of juniors leave their hometown clubs and it is disappointing. But there's just something about this generation as opposed to the previous one that um, Dan was just talking about before and Tasha, that um, this group just wants to stay together and we've seen a few guys take big sacrifices money-wise um, to, to stay. So, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's bright times out there at the moment.
2: Do you think it's part of the culture of, like, being from out west? Like, you know, and you, and you look at Sydney and, and, you know, the Western divide is so... Like firmly held strong, and they, they, that area, and especially the Panthers appeal to that underdog, the working class. Like, you know, do you think that that's got a little bit to do with why the boys have decided to stay where they are? Because parts of the area are socially, like, socially rough and tumble, and, you know, there's a lot of uh, influence from, like, you know, gang violence and stuff like that. Like, it's it's entirely true, but, you know, yeah. these boys look to these. NRL players going you came from down the street from me and look where you are like I think that that's
1: that's huge yeah I mean we hear I, I write stories about um you know guys that have come from housing commission backgrounds or um you know they avoided jail growing up and it's it's frightening to sort of hear but it's it's also their life and it's it's um you know I've lived in the west all my life and and it's not so bad it's not as bad as what it seems but it's uh yeah there's real stories out there and I think um, as I touched on before, I just think this generation coming through have all grown up together and, um, you know, unlike the previous gen that, that come through the Panther system as juniors, like society's changed and these guys are just, um, you know, really just wanting to stick together and do something special.
0: Yeah, look, I agree. I think the difference is... Um... As Alicia was saying, you come through and you play together and you want to play for your mates. And it's that sort of uh, I think uh, Peter Vlandes or Andrew Abdo was talking about tribalism in sport. And I think out west you've got that tribalism, that real feeling. And And when you can get that culture into your team, then, you know, it really does show out on the paddock.
3: Yep. And I guess one of the things that I had circled here for the Penrith Panthers is what makes them great? What is it about this current team that makes them so great? And uh, Stace, we're going to start with you because, you know, I, I guess at top of that list is uh, this young playmaker by the name of Nathan Cleary. I, I guess, you know, let, let, let's, let's take it all the way back. What, what, what's, what were your expectations of Nathan? Has he exceeded them? Did you predict him to be, uh, I guess, such a great player?
2: I don't think I initially did. You know, when he first kind of busted onto the scene, he was just, you know, the coach's son. You know, he wasn't really – It. I think it grew – it took him a little while to grow into his boots, but his mental game, I mean, obviously having, you know, the coach as your dad, obviously they'd have a lot of round table dinner table kind of chats and, you know, I think that Ivan Cleary is one of the best strategic minds that there is in coaching. So, and you can tell that Nathan has picked that up. Just the way that he looks at the game is completely differently. So he's looking like four or five plays ahead. He's looking at the next score before it's even happened. So to see his development, um, he's exceeded my expectations and I think many people's, definitely.
0: Yeah, look, Stace, I couldn't agree with you more. You look at um, Ivan Cleary as a coach and he's calm you look at his son as a, as a captain and as a halfback and he's calm. And quite often when you come in as the coach's son or the coach's daughter, as we spoke about with Jasmine Strange, um, same sort of thing. It's almost like you've got to be that little extra bit better to prove yourself that you're not just, you know, the, the prodigy or the, the, the son of the coach. The reality is as well, growing up, in the
1: lower grades, Nathan wasn't the best halfback in, in the lower grade system either. He's actually had to work really hard. You know, it wasn't a case of, oh, you know, Ivan Ivan Cleary's son, you're in the side. So the thing that I like about that is as well, he sort of, he came into first grade um, without Ivan and then he sort of had a couple of years without Ivan. And, and really that's when we saw a bit of a glimpse of what he can do. And the signs were there, you know, but now it's just really coming out. Um, and I'm sure Ivan's had a massive play in that and, guys around him. But yeah, I think it's important to note that, you know, Nathan wasn't, as far as I'm aware, I never actually watched him play myself, but he wasn't the best halfback coming through the system at Penrith.
3: Uh, Alicia, another player that I wanted to pick out was his little halves partner there in Jerome Luai. Now, I, I guess one of the things we are seeing with these halves is just the yin and the yang, you know, the different types of plays working really, really well in the game at the moment.
1: Yeah, it's funny listening to Jerome talk when Nathan was out with that shoulder injury um, a month or two ago. He's just saying how much he missed him out there. Like, you you don't realise, I guess, until they're not there, um, what they sort of do for you. So, And Jerome struggled a little bit this year. I think he'll be the first to admit it, you know, post-origin. He hasn't been his normal self, but I I thought he showed pretty good signs on the weekend. He was fired up. He had his mate, Brian out there with him. I think those two, you know, as a combination, worked really well just getting the rest of the side up. So... Yeah, he, um, it's the perfect combination that left foot, right foot um, works to a treat. And, you know, I think, um, yeah, I just think he takes a load of pressure off. and uh, Nathan takes a load of pressure off Jerome. And, um, you know, it was always going to take a couple of weeks for them to get back and, and fire him.
2: And I think I, I feel kind of bad because we've given Luai such a rough trot over these last couple of weeks. You know, we, we've said how he's not playing in his game, how we just want him to play like he did, um, you know, when he was playing Origin. And, you know, I was reading a couple of interviews um, from him and he was just saying that, you know, he, he just needed to be able to play free and that's what Nathan does for him. You know, there was just, you know, we were spoken about it before, you know, he's just not that kind of player. And that's okay because... The type of player that he is is so electric anyway. He doesn't need to be the all. He just needs to do his job. And when he does his job to the best of his ability, he's unstoppable.
3: Yeah, and, and I think the youth comes through in the pen, in the, in the Panthers side as well, not just Luai, but the difference between their best and their worst, there's a little bit of a gap there at the moment. Outside of Nathan Cleary, he's very consistent. But for Jerome, I just think he probably wants to sort of narrow that, um, you know, obviously in the grand final, but certainly over the next few years uh, as he tries to become a more consistent player. Okay, touch the, the last player that I wanted to touch on is a player who we're thinking about getting T-shirts made to kind of, I guess, lift his profile uh, even more. And uh, just a player that we love here at Mojo Sports, and that's Dylan Edwards. Now, we say that because he just does not get the raps that the other big-time fullbacks get in the game. But, look, eventually we're going to have to give this guy some credit because his final series, he's been one of the best on the field.
0: Yeah, Dan, he has. And, look, the competition is out there. There's so many shiny, shiny fullbacks that uh, poor old Dylan sometimes does, you know, get a little bit lost and fly under the radar. Um, But, no, he's front and centre out there. He's um, playing in the grand final. He's he's had a solid final series. And, um, look, despite the the blonde hair, um, I think he'll shine out with his skills this weekend. I've got a bit of a story about
1: Dylan, if I if I've got time to share it, but when he first came into grade, he could not string words together talking to you in an interview. It was it was just so painful. He didn't mean it, but he just he he was so nervous. And anyway, but since then he has just blossomed both on and off the field in in that regard. Like he um happy to have a chat, but he's not fussed at all with you know, not being up there with the top, you know, echelon of fullbacks in terms of people talking about him. He's happy to go about his business and I think he's a very underrated player and somebody that support play-wise we saw um, when Penrith last played South Sydney. There was a couple of line breaks there that um, Dylan Edwards is usually there on the spot, you know, support play. But um, they had Stephen Crichton at the back that night and it just wasn't there. So I think everyone, uh, I guess, outside of that club um, underestimate how much Dylan Edwards is to that side. and um, But certainly those guys in the fort walls know what he brings to a, to a footy club.
3: All right, guys, well, let's jump into our next segment now, the match. The most anticipated match in history, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Yeah, and this week on the match, we've got, well, two heavyweight coaches going head-to-head as the panel try and determine who is the better coach at the moment. And tonight we've got Des Hasler coming up against, well, one of the grand finalists from this year, and that's Ivan Cleary, um, Tash, going to start with you. Let's start with Ivan. It's certainly been a bit of a roller coaster ride as a coach, but yeah, he's certainly well. He, he's one of the game's best.
0: Yeah, and he's actually proving that now. Um, he might not have the experience um, of you know Wayne Bennett, and you know he can get caught up in a bit of a, a media tussle. But I think he's learning from that sort of stuff. Um, But what you can see, if you go to the coaches' boxes in um, every game, you know, they they love it. if, If a team has an error, they flick to the coaches' box and they're just blowing up. And you don't have to be a lip reader to work out what they're saying. But Ivan seems to really keep his composure. And I think that has transpired. He's taught that over to the team. And so in the big moments, it's hey, fellas, yes, we're a young team, but let's keep keep our composure let's keep it steady and that's where they've come up with that consistency and that um, really technical footy game and stick to it so yeah I like what he's done
3: yeah he's definitely uh, well balanced uh, in his emotions and I think it would take uh, it would take players a little bit of time just to sort of you know get a you know is he is he mad at me is he happy with me um, how, how do I get a read on this guy so um, no, he's definitely got a, a very different coaching style but definitely one that works. Um, Stace let's go back in time because you know started out obviously doing some coaching work there at the Warriors and you know they're a franchise that are a bit of an easy target you know we often say that they they don't quite live up to their expectations but you know Ivan Ivan got a lot out of that club back then and they made the the grand final uh, back in 2011 it just goes to show that even during the early stages of his coaching career he certainly had some talent.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I'm, I just think it comes down to the type of coach that he is. Like, you know, he exactly the same what you were saying about his composure. I feel like he's able to keep things like really simple and, in, and focus on the intangibles. So like when we talk about what makes a good coach, yes, there's the ability to teach the fundamentals, te- teach the tactics, te- teach the strategies. But when it comes to dealing with the playmakers and dealing with the organisation, in terms of what he wants and how he's done it, he's shown consistencies around the way that he treats his players. He, he, you know he doesn't put up with with the crap he you know he takes things quite seriously, but again he just he just focuses on the culture more so than the gameplay and like I said, you know I feel like he sits in a, in a dark room you know most nights during the week with this little black book of plays that he's just had since you know since the early days that he's just waiting to pull out for the perfect moment and is this moment the right moment for him? I saw, sure hope so because I'm excited to see it.
3: And Alicia, I guess, and even taking it back, it was a bit of a brave decision for him to move away from the Warriors, right? Like he'd sort of, you know, built them all the way up, got them to, to a grand final, and you know, obviously the the Penrith Panthers job right now is is a very coveted position. But back then, when Ivan first joined the club, it was definitely not the case. It was it was a huge challenge that that he sort of took on.
1: Yeah, it was um, from memory. Like he basically was worshipped over in New Zealand as well for for what he did. You got to remember, I think Sonny Sonny Fire passed away in '09, and um, just what he was able to do off field to sort of um, bring those players together that year was just phenomenal. And then a couple of years later, they are challenging Manly for a grand final. And um, you know, I think moving back home to Australia was obviously a big part of him coming back, and then the Penrith opportunity popped up and. Yeah, they struggled for those first couple of years. I did a match-up last, uh, last week um, in the lead-up to the Storm game and I couldn't believe, like you know, they finished 14th, 15th, um, barely, barely made it off the ground. So, um, you know, he's, he's been part of that club, obviously, in two stints. We know he went to the West Tigers, but, um, yeah, he's been enormous in terms of what he's been able to do. And I think a large part of that, going back to Nathan, is he's been able to see the junior system since Nathan's come through and he knows the players that have been around him. Um, you know he's got obviously got a really good bond that way as well which um, I think is pretty handy now it's it's paying off but I'd love to get you know I'd love to see Ivan open up a bit more and I think he might once if they do win the competition this year and just really let out a lot of stuff that he's probably just held in I feel like he's a guy that just keeps to himself but he does it deliberately he's a he's definitely hard to read even as a reporter talking to him you don't know if he took it the wrong way or yeah he's a pretty hard guy to work out
3: yeah absolutely yeah, and Tash you know, obviously, you know, went through the the Tigers situation and, um, you know, returned back to the Penrith Panthers, but it was just a it was just too good of an opportunity, wasn't it? You know, five year deal, all of these juniors coming through, you could see that. You know, obviously, Anthony Griffin had sort of, you know, got the team into the top four, and you could see that the team was kind of moving towards, um, you know, introducing and blooding some of these young juniors. It was just too good of an opportunity for for Ivan to miss out on.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. And if I was in Ivan's shoes, I'd I'd definitely jump at the chance as well. I mean, we we spoke a a little earlier about how these players are coming through um, and Ivan saw that opportunity and it really is coming to fruition. But actually, correct me if I'm wrong, Leish, one of those players coming through, and I meant to mention it earlier, um, would be Mark Geyer's son. Maverick Gaia, he's a strong up and coming second row who might even break into, you know, first grade NRL. Well, Zoli is next year, if not the year after. Is that right?
1: Yeah, you've got him coming through. I think you have got Logan as well. Is on the books, or so he's definitely playing league. So there's a couple of couple of kids coming through the system. But um, that's probably the next generation um that's coming through. We mentioned that before as well. But yeah, definitely he's one to watch, from what I understand.
3: Yeah, and just to round off, Ivan, I mean, we can talk about all of the talent that the Penrith Panthers have, and definitely 1 through 17. They're a very talented football team, but we have seen instances this season where they sort of dipped in form and kind of struggled. So I guess Ivan, you know, he's probably not going to get as much credit, um, you know, given the amount of talent that's in the team, but you can definitely see, to Stacey's point earlier, that composure. Um, you know, uh, Alicia, you are talking about you know just just his style, and you can definitely see that um, in the Panthers. They've definitely matured as a football team, and they're certainly in a position to yeah potentially win a premiership. All right, guys. Well, let's jump over to his competitor tonight, and uh, well, we we talk about uh, you know the emotions of coaches, uh, and and this fellow Des Hasler, uh, Tasha. Going to start with you. Um, you know, a lot's been written about Des over the years, but. You know, if if you if you strictly look at his coaching record, he, he's going to go down as one of the all time greats.
0: He is. His coaching record is outstanding, and he consistently moves through different different clubs, bringing success. But. Everybody there's this aura about him like being the nutty professor. And um, I think he's the master of building the mentality, you know, everybody loves to hate Manly. Everybody hates us, mate. They hate us. So it, it, I love the way he inspires his players through there. But he really is. He lives and breathes and loves his rugby league so much so I, I believe that um, there's a one day a week. That the players at Manly have that they call a Des free day, and Des is not allowed to approach them on that day, and that's Des Hasler.
3: And Tash, uh, well, sorry, Stacey. I mean, as a night supporter, I'm born to hate Manly, right? But if we go back to those, you know, the, the sort of the 2007, 2008, the, that that first stint for Hasler and Manly, I mean, that's when I started to soften a little bit on Manly because. I mean, how could you hate them? There was just so much to love with the Stewart brothers, with Steve Madai, um, and they were taking down – they were slaying the dragon, you know. They were sort of the only team that could take down, uh, you know, the Melbourne Storm. But, um, yeah, I, you know, a remarkable football team and a remarkable coaching performance from, from Dez during those early days at Manly.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, if, if you're looking at the, you know, the 20, 20 – 2008? 2008, 2008 season alone, you know, where they won the grand final, you know, 40-0. Like that was just rough and it was tumble and it was just like the way that good footy is supposed to be played. Like it's just bruising, it's hard, it's just, it's next level. And, and you, you have to like throw back to those sorts of moments, especially now in the game and, and how vastly different the, the game was back then to how we're playing it now. And, uh, you know, mainly was always that hard-nosed football and you're exactly right. It's the everyone loves to hate us kind of mentality.
1: Well, Kieran Foran had said something similar, like that his body took a couple of years and probably still does now just to recover from that that dominant manly period because it was just so brutal, um, you know, for a five-year period where they uh, played in a few grand finals and obviously won a couple. So, yeah, it's interesting that you say that because definitely some of the players have said, um, you know, it affected Kieran. Obviously, when he went to the Bulldogs with all the injuries he had, he said it, played, it probably played a bit of a part, um, you know, that, that manly era. Yeah. And I think to that point too,
2: Alicia, you'd probably like, like know more about that now is like, you know, he went through this entire season uninjured, which is so rare for Kieran Foran. And like, what what have they attributed that to? Is it just the, the change in the game that's like, has made that ha- like more possible? Or has Kieran Foran just gotten better as he aged?
1: Well, it would annoy – if I was a Bulldogs fan, it would annoy me, you know, watching Kieran, as, as great as, he, as it is that he's not injured this year, it'd make you question, I guess, what was happening, you know, previously when you're at the Bulldogs. But I guess that's a, that's a topic for another day. But, yeah, I imagine um, something's obviously worked because it's great to see him out in the field. And, and I, don't, I think he missed a couple of weeks this year, but that was that was it. So it was a great year from him.
3: And then, obviously, he's still at the Canterbury Bulldogs. Uh, you know, it's an interesting one because of people – you know, a lot of people – reflect back on that time as, as quite negative, you know, salary cap issues. And obviously the club, um, you know, sort of struggled, um, you know, towards the back end and, and have sort of struggled ever since. But Tasha, there, there was actually quite a lot of success during the during his time at the Canary Bulldogs. I mean, he made two grand finals. This team was in the finals uh, most of the years that he was there. Um, you know, I, again, it's, it's probably something where history, you know, it's just kind of... It's, I guess the narrative has been written a little bit differently now, but, yeah, another successful period for Des when you really look at it there at Canterbury.
0: Yeah, it was. Like, Des was there 2012 to 2017, and uh, the Bulldogs were consistently in the finals. They did go very, very well. But then as, you know, sorry, Leish, but as as the media and the journos do tend to cover, they do sensationalise things. So all of a sudden the problem with the salary cap foreshadows his, you know,
3: his, his performance. All right, guys. Well, let's have a look at uh, the current state of play because, you know, the thing with Manly is they've always had in modern times, you know, with Des coming back to the club, they've always had the talent, but typically so injury riddled. Obviously their star player, Tom Trevojevic, um, you know, obviously all the hopes and dreams there. Uh, at Manly, have rested on him, and he's been injured quite a lot. But so is the squad. Um, but you know, I, I guess, Stacey, going to you on this. You know, th- this is this has been a really impressive job that Des has been able to do in the modern era because Manly don't have the facilities. They have been injury-riddled in the past. He's been able to bring all of these players together, and you know, a lot of youngsters, a lot of young kids coming through. It, it's been it's been a really impressive job from Des.
2: Yeah, definitely, and and I think nothing sums it up more as to when you were watching the Manly South game and, you know, Des just lost his shit. Like, and you can imagine that kind of spray coming at you as a player, you know, and it's not, but at the same time, the players still rate him so highly and every player that's ever played for him rates him so highly as a coach, as a, as a great motivator. And whether that's the play, like the old boys used to just strap your big boy pants on and go in there and get it done I mean,
1: that must work for a lot of people, that's for sure. Well, one thing about Des, I think he, he copped a little bit just around that salary cap stuff at the Bulldogs, but it was around just developing, like, local talent at Belmore. He probably didn't do that a lot. Whereas this year, if you go through the list, like guys have just come onto the scene, like Itaniella Paseka. Um, kicked on um old Kawatu was awesome like uh, a lot of young guys moses sully when he had his opportunities uh ruben garrick jason Saal, like but these guys actually really improved under him which is probably something as i said that he, he didn't get a hell of a lot of credit for it at canterbury um but yeah that that's for me that was des's big um tick this year i guess on top of obviously uh, reaching the prelims
3: yeah definitely rewriting his legacy there that's for sure All right, guys, we'll end the match. Cannot sit on the fence. We've got to come up with a winner here. Tash, going to start with you. Uh, Where are you going?
0: I'm going with uh, the mad professor, Desi Hasler. For all those things that that Leish and Stace were just saying, yeah, he has a spray, but that's from his passion. He is so very, very passionate and... um, you know, Stacey, was saying how the players all rave about him. Like, imagine being on the end of that spray but still, you know, love love your coach, and that's what Des is. So that sort of bloke, I'm, I'm going to choose him over Ivan Cleary at the moment. I might change my mind in a few years down the track because Des also has the incredible runs on the board um, with the success that he's had.
3: Yeah, look, I'm going to go Des as well. Um, he's just got the, he's well, he's just got the grand final wins. I think Ivan, he has the potential to sort of catch Des into the future. Um, he's definitely he's had a couple of opportunities, Ivan. So uh, just needs a couple more titles there. Uh, yeah, for me, um, I, I've got Des Alicia.
1: I'm actually going to go Ivan, and I, you know, I think hopefully uh, if Penrith do go on and win the competition, you know, because that's something that has obviously eluded him. No, no premiership. Um, but I think. For me, if I'm coached under Des for a period of time, I think it would get to a point where that would do my head in his nutty ways. Um, and I mean that in the nicest way possible. Whereas I think Ivan, I think I'd play better under him just knowing how calm he is. And yeah, so obviously we don't know them personally and how they really do operate. But yeah, I think I would lean towards Ivan yeah. if I was a player.
3: No, definitely. Uh, Desi can definitely uh, kick the door off the hinges. That's for sure. Stace?
2: I mean, I've played with, you know, both styles of coaches, Um, you know, I've had the sprays, but I've also had coaches that, like Alicia was saying, that would probably stimulate me or motivate me a different way. And that's, like I said, what I love about Ivan Cleary is his strategic mind. So I'm just actually waiting for him to pull this, this magic play because I've been seeing it over the course of this season. They've been working on these little tiny separate incidences of plays that I can just see will lead up to when that opportunity strikes, they're going to pull it out. And I, I fully believe it with my heart that he's got this little book and it's waiting to happen. So I've, I, I want to see it um, and I hope that the moment comes that they can orchestrate, you know, the moment of this brilliance. Um, I'm so looking forward to it, but I'm going with with Ivan on this one.
3: All right, guys, let's jump into our final segment of tonight, Rapid Fire. And hey, we're going to talk all about that and a whole bunch of other things. What you need to know tonight. It's your apologies to Matt Damon. We ran out of time for him tonight. We'll get him on the air again soon.
0: Okay, we'll okay, chit- oh, me. my boss is saying closing time. Maybe that's what you're
3: saying. Yeah, and this week on Rapid Fire, pretty easy question: Who is our player to watch? In the grand final, Uh is going to start with you.
2: I'm going to go with the man, Nathan, Nathan Cleary. I mean, um, you know, we've spoken about how he's so composed when he needs to be, but I feel like he's been holding something back on purpose. Um, you know, there's been times during the season where, you, you know, you'd have, especially after coming back from, um, you know, the injury that he had, Uh, in his first couple of games back, he kind of expected him to stay a little bit quiet, but he didn't, you know, he scored a couple of tries. He was taking on the line really strong just to show that he could. And I think that that's super important, especially after the game that they just played um, against the storm, that he's now got to prove the next one. I can do this too. So I'm keeping him to watch um, for this game. And like I said, there's, there's just, I feel like there's something brewing in the Panthers camp that's from a, you know, from a a gameplay perspective is going to be really interesting. And I'm really excited to see it.
3: Yeah. Look for me, I'm going to go with uh, Brian Toto. Uh, I think, you know, he's, you can definitely see the impact uh, when he's not in the team and he's battling, battling a little bit of an injury. Um, I think, once it's all said and done, I think it'd be interesting to get a little bit more insight into that injury because I think, you know, what he's able to do is, is, is quite remarkable. And the fact that I'm saying a winger definitely uh, says a lot about the modern game in twenty twenty one because he is he's something special. Alicia, what about yourself?
1: Uh, I'm going to go with Cody Walker. I think he's just got the monkey off his back um, in the prelim, obviously winning last week. And I think for him, we know he's a little bit shaky on the big stage at the origin level. And obviously grand final is such a different ball game. So for the Rabbitohs to win, they definitely need Cody Walker firing. And he showed some great signs. And and equally, just with Adam Reynolds, obviously, we know he has a bit of a groin injury. So um, look for Cody Walker to to really take the heat off him and, and, I guess, go hard down that
0: left edge.
3: Yeah, absolutely, Tash.
0: I'm going to go for the fairy tale finish, and um, I'm going to say player to watch is Benji Marshall. Like, it's 16 years in the game. Um, sorry, 16 years ago, uh, he he took the grand final out as a as a oh, I think he was a debutant with a groovy little flick pass, um, and now he comes on uh, in the grand final 16 years later as the experienced player like I think he's played in every position throughout the year except wing but he'll he'll be one to watch just to bring that composure now as the experienced player especially in you know if he comes in as the extra ball distributor so yeah Benji Marshall
3: all right guys and that's all the time we have tonight just want to thank my amazing panel as always we always bring the heat when it comes to all things rugby league. And to our listeners, we really hope you enjoyed tonight's episode. Um, If you did, please download the episode, share with family and friends, and please find us on social media. We're available on all platforms. And until next week, we'll see you then. You have been listening to Mojo Sports.